Great job, guys. They always make me so proud. Can we give them a hand? <laughs> they just have so much, like, boldness and honestly just energy. <laughs> I'm getting older. I think a lot of us are getting older, and we just don't have that kind of energy anymore. <laughs> um, but it's always encouraging to see them with that. How's everybody doing today? Good? You guys all with me? You awake? I hope so. I hope so. Um, I, this message is kind of inspired by my husband because he has a huge love for what I'm about to talk about. But the day Joshua and I met was actually at my sister's wedding. I don't know if many of you guys probably don't know our story, but her, my, her, my sister's now husband was his close friend. They grew up in Louisville together, and they had both kind of been talking in our ear, right, about like, man, they'd just be so great together. Joshua's so funny, and Erica's so sweet, and they just were like talking us up. You know how that goes? And so they had planned for us to meet at their wedding reception, which is like the most romantic scenario you can imagine, right? And you would think it would go really well after they'd been talking into our ears all of this time, but the truth is it totally bombed. Um, I think we can both label that night as one of the most awkward nights of our lives. Um, But by the grace of God, here we are five years later, or five years married with two beautiful kids in ministry together and I just, I look back on that day, yeah, (laughs) thank you. I love our story, it's a funny one, but it's also just a testament to God and what he can do in our lives when we just submit to his will, and I look back on that day we met, even though it was really awkward, it was a defining moment in my life, because it was a day that God showed up to start something that would then change the course of the rest of my life. And so I look back, and if I hadn't met Joshua that night, and if he hadn't messaged me on Facebook a few few years later to, like, reconnect, I probably wouldn't be standing here, and I wouldn't be living in Louisville. And this place and Louisville are home to some of the biggest blessings in my life. And so that's a moment I look back on, and I'm just so thankful to God. And, you know, God speaks to his people in a lot of different ways throughout history, right? He would speak to them through a voice. Sometimes he would show up. And today we most commonly hear him speak through his inspired word, right? The Bible. But there are some moments in our lives when we experience him in such an intimate way, in such a real way, that it just changes the course of the rest of our lives. So let's take a look at this video really quick and watch as someone's defining moment kind of unfolds. Eddie! Eddie, open the gate. Mr. Cooper's not seeing guests. I'm not a guest. I'm sorry, John. Eddie, open the gate. I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to move your car. John, please, move your car.
I've done everything you wanted me to do. So why did you do this to me? any lost fans in the room? Yes, it is such a good series. The first time I watched it, I hated it because it's so confusing, but the more you watch it, the more you love it. But if you've never seen Lost, let me kind of walk you through what's happening in this scene, okay? So that way you kind of know what just happened. But this is a man named John Locke, and he's in this moment, the man in this clip is in these, he has two choices in his life, right? He's in this defining moment, if you will. You see, John believed that he landed on this island for a reason, that he was put there with a purpose, and that this hatch we see him kind of beating on, begging for the light to come on and the door to open in the end, he believed that was shown to him for a reason. And so he's so frustrated when the island shows him this hatch and then doesn't tell him how to also get in the hatch, right? And it's locked and there's no lights on and he's like, this is a dead end, I'm so frustrated. And that scene is kind of juxtaposed with this scene with his dad. He's at his dad's gate, begging him to open the gate. You see, John's dad only came into his life when he wanted something from him. And in this case, it was a new kidney. And when he gives him the kidney, he just disappears out of his life. And have you ever had those emotions, like John in that scene, where you're just like banging on something, it's like you're just so frustrated and angry? And this scene kind of reveals the moment where John is at his breaking point, just begging for a sign, begging for some sense of hope. And if the light in this hatch had not come on, this light... John would have spiraled out of control. He would have lost all faith, and he would have just spiraled out of control. But either way, whatever would happen, it would define the rest of John's life. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. And we're going to take a look at a man from the Bible who is in the midst of a similar moment in his life. A man who had most likely given up on all of his dreams to just settle down in the desert until he has this life-changing encounter with God. So Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to go back through and break it down for you. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father, father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led this flock to the west of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold... The bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are on which you are standing is holy holy ground. You know, this is the craziest story ever. Here we have Moses, who was just handling his day-to-day workload, pretty much, tending to his father-in-law's sheep. When he went, when he, it was probably just another work day, right? He's probably just tending to his sheep, thinking the day's going to go on as usual. He's not really expecting anything crazy to happen, right? He's just leading them towards the mountain of Horeb, which was probably a common occurrence. And we know from reading the story that this is not going to be just a normal work day for Moses, Right? His life is about to change because of this insane encounter with God. 
And here's a little bit of context about what led Moses to this point in his life. At this point, Moses is about 40 years old when he walked out from the palace to just see his people, the Hebrews, and to just look out and see what was happening to them. And he looks out and he sees them suffering. He watched as they were forced to do hard labor for the Egyptians. Now, Moses was a Hebrew himself, but because he was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter, he had the privilege of living the life of a prince, not a slave. And so can you imagine like that feeling of guilt and the pain he felt for his people knowing they were suffering while he was living this cushy life? That would make me feel guilty. And so I can imagine that Moses is wrestling with this, and in that moment where he's wrestling with these awful feelings of just suffering and pain and guilt, he looks out at his people and he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew half to death, just wailing on this guy. And Moses is so overwhelmed that he strikes out and kills the Egyptian in that moment of weakness. He strikes out. I mean, I can really feel for Moses because I, I have let my emotions lead me in the choices that I've made more times than I can count. Anybody else? I've let my emotions take control of me. And I think that's just part of being a broken human being, right? We're flawed. And we let, we don't really see the bigger picture most of the time. We just act in the moment and we let our emotions get the best of us, right? Amen? Anybody else? I know I do. And as soon as the Pharaoh learns about what Moses did, he, he sends someone out to kill him. His punishment is death. But Moses flees. And fearing for his life, he ran into the hill country of Midian. And literally overnight, his status changed from prince to fugitive. Literally overnight. He goes from his cushy life to probably the worst case scenario you can imagine. He's in the desert, just trying to survive, wrestling with that fear and anxiety of that any moment he could be discovered and put to death. And I could almost hear Moses crying out to God, Father, I'm so sorry. Father, just spare my life. Father, just save me. Father, I just need hope. I feel so regretful. Have you guys ever felt those feelings of like hopelessness or helplessness or wrestled with guilt yourself? You know, I think we as both individuals and collectively as a church body can relate. You know, we've been through a lot of hard times recently, right? I don't think that's a surprise to anybody with COVID and with our church in general and just all of these things happening. And in the midst of those moments, it's really easy to let our emotions lead us instead of the Father. It's really easy to get caught up in our own perspectives rather than chasing after God's will, right? And in those moments when we choose to let our emotions win, we miss out on incredible defining moments. Defining moments that come straight from the Father that could change the course of our entire lives. And so here we have Moses hiding away in the wilderness with no shelter, no job, no family, no friends. Just a lonely guy wandering the desert trying to stay alive. But to his relief, he soon met a man who offered him a job tending to his sheep. And not only that, he also offered his daughter for marriage. Can you imagine Moses? He's probably like, yes! Like, my life is looking up. I have a wife. I now have a family. I have a job. Like, this is best case scenario for me. To go from a fugitive to a family, from a fugitive to a job. 
Like, he's probably jumping up and down. Like, I would imagine that's Moses' reaction to God providing this for him. He's just so thankful. And he settles into this new life with his new family and his new job and lives comfortably in what seems like just a really cushy early retirement, right? Like, he's just tending to sheep, enjoying his life, not really thinking anything else is going to happen for him, just living his life. Now let's read Exodus 3, 1 through 3 again. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Forty years later, while tending sheep, Moses sees this bush on fire. Now to us, that sounds super strange, right? We don't just walk out in southern Illinois and see bushes catching fire on their own, right? Not normally anyway, right? That's not a common sight for us, but you have to think of the context of where Moses is living, in the desert, in a hill country that had rocks scattered everywhere, right? And so you have to take account the sun beating off of these rocks, the extremely high heat, the extremely high temperatures, and all of that is like the perfect scenario for things to just catch fire. Like that was normal for them. Bushes would catch fire all of the time. But what caught Moses' attention was that something was different about this bush. Yes, it was catching fire, and he would have normally just walked past that, but it was not burning up. That is what caught Moses' attention. You know, the closer Moses got to this burning bush, the more he realized something was different this time, that somehow, some way, this burning bush in the midst of the desert was on fire but not turning to ash. That caught his attention. And the Bible actually says that Moses only turns aside to see this bush when he realized it wasn't burning up. Otherwise, he would have just kept walking. God knew exactly how to get Moses' attention. Let me just tell you that by taking something ordinary, something he would have normally just walked right past, and making it extraordinary, something you couldn't miss. And that experience was a defining moment for him. Let's read Exodus 3, 4 through 5 again. It says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are on which you are standing is holy ground. You know, all of a sudden things get even weirder for Moses, if you can imagine. Because not only is this bush not burning up and turning to ash, he turns aside to get a closer look and God himself calls out to Moses from this bush. Now that would probably knock someone off their feet, right? You would think so. That is like the extra step God took to say, hey, look at me, right? Like, hey, I'm here and you need to know it. I'm calling you to do something incredible. This passage reminds us that God's call to do something is always followed by the reality that he is with us, right? God says the ground you are walking on is holy. Here I am. And so he doesn't just call out to Moses. He says, I'm also with you. I'm also here in this moment and I'm going to follow you through what I'm about to tell you to do. So God makes his presence known to Moses, and he follows it up with a call to go release his people from the massive empire of Egypt. And yes, that's the very country that he's been hiding from all these years. 
Isn't that such a God thing? Like just to call you right to where you've been running from? Like that's just, I feel like a common characteristic in God. He just wants to put you where you don't want to go because that's where you can do the most. Now remember, Moses is 80 years at this point in his story. And Moses is so overwhelmed by this call that God has given him that he starts to list every possible reason he can't do it. Right? That's his instinct to say, I'm too old. I don't speak well. Here's a million other reasons why I can't do what you're asking me to do. Now, isn't it funny how when we apply for a job or we're applying for a scholarship, we can list every reason why we're perfect for it, right? And they come really fast. I mean, I'm super smart. I'm a great leader. All of these awesome qualities that I have that make you want to choose me, right? But when God calls us, isn't it so much easier to list off every reason why we're not good enough? Why is that? Like, that's an interesting concept to me. And because of Moses' excuses and somewhat valid point that he's just not a very good speaker, he wasn't very great with his vocabulary, but God sends his brother Aaron, who's 83 years old, to be his spokesperson, to be the one who sends the message out. And now can you imagine how funny that sight would have been to the Pharaoh, an 80-year-old and an 83-year-old marching up to take on this massive empire of Egypt? It's kind of laughable, right? You'd think that's a funny sight to someone who has armies and armies for days, right? Two men in their 80s are going to take me on? I don't think so. But that's a God thing, right? And no matter how funny it might seem, Aaron and Moses were empowered so much so by the Lord that when he raised or struck his staff, they were terrified. He didn't even hardly have to do anything. Raise, strike, terrified. That was it, right? And so it doesn't take much when you follow the will of God, right? It's not easy. You still have to deal with the emotions and the fears and the anxieties, but God's going to tell you what to do and make it pretty easy for you to at least understand and do. However, before sending them out on this impossible, seemingly impossible mission, God gave Moses some assurances to strengthen his faith. These assurances gave Moses and Aaron the strength and courage they needed to step out into what God, what we could consider as their defining moment. Right? Their defining moment. Their choice to lay themselves down and be obedient to God's will resulted and the greatest exodus in the history of mankind. The greatest. Not the second greatest. Not the third or fourth. The, the absolute greatest exodus in the history of all of mankind. And the journey of God's people into the promised land. Those are massive things to be a part of. And they, because they stepped into God's will and they, didn't, they stopped making excuses, they were able to be a part of that, to lead the charge in that. And right before this story, God lays out his heart for his people. If you read just the few verses before, we know for a fact that God felt his people's suffering, that he knew the oppression they were in. He felt their pain and he knew their agony. And he, guys, he still feels that for us today. He still knows our pain. He still knows our agony. He still knows our frustrations and confusions and all of those things. He still feels those, the uncertainty, the fear, the confusion, the depression, the anger, the anxiety, the hopelessness, the pain, the sickness, all of that, God still knows it intimately, just like he did for the Israelites in this moment. But here's the deal. I'm going to get a little, can we just be real? 
Can we just be real all together, guys? I feel like you guys are my family, so I'm going to be real with you guys. Moses could have easily, at the age of 80, taken the easy route, right? He could have ran from that burning bush. He could have easily chosen to stay in this comfortable, cushy life with his wife's family and in the desert and just remain a shepherd for the rest of his days. And to be honest, he probably would have lived a long and happy life doing it. But if Moses had taken the easy road, do you see what he would have missed out on? If Moses had taken the easy road, he would have never freed the Israelites from Egypt or parted the Red Sea or led them into the Promised Land. Moses experienced his defining moment at the age of 80 and it revealed his God-given purpose for his life. And it was not to tend sheep for the rest of his life in the desert. It was to deliver God's people from slavery and usher them into the promises that he had made them. That was God's will for Moses' life. And it's true that the burning bush in this story was not consumed, but we do see that Moses was. And it wasn't a good kind of consumed. He was consumed with anxiety and doubt and fear and just excuses, honestly. But we know Moses could only see the problems with the calling of God, calling that God had set out for him, right? He came up with so many different reasons as to why he just couldn't go, and he listed out all of these excuses like we often do. But God knew that Moses was his chosen, and he wasn't going to let that go. Thank the Lord, right, that he doesn't let us go. God knew he would give him the power and the authority that he needed to get the job done, and not just get it done, but get it done to the greatest in all history, right? to get it done well. That's the difference. You see, the defining moment in Moses' life was never really about him in the first place. When it became about Moses, that's when we can list off every excuse, right? Moses could say, I don't speak well. I'm not, I don't like families. I don't like kids. I don't want to go stand up to the, the empire. I don't want to do that. You know, when it became about Moses, it was easy to run from it, to avoid it, to ignore it, to make excuses for it, but... When it became God's defining moment through Moses, when it became God's moment, it was more than possible. You couldn't ignore it. And you had everything you needed. That's the difference. When it's about Moses, it's impossible. When it's about us, it's impossible. But when it becomes about God doing work through us, it's easy peasy, right? I mean, maybe not easy, but you get the idea. So my question is this. Are you stuck in this endless cycle of excuses? This is me being real with you guys. Are you stuck in this endless cycle of seeing things through your own broken perspective instead of trusting the Father's direction and guidance? Family, our church is in a defining moment. Our church right here, those of us in this room, are in a defining moment right now. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We have two choices. To get healthy and to step into God's will for us and for our, this body of believers as a whole, right? 
and hopefully see these incredible defining moments unfold and see this incredible work of the Father unfold. Or we can run from it in a 300 different directions with 300 different excuses. Those are our two choices. And let me tell you something. This staff, I'm going to try to not get too emotional here, is some of the best staff that I've ever worked with in my entire life. And this, they are some of the most Christ-honoring people I have ever known. And they have your best interest and God's best interest in mind at all times. And I could say the same. And I'm going to say the very same about our deacons who are working in impossible times with impossible decisions. They love Jesus and they love you. They love this church. And they're in the midst of this defining moment waiting for people to stand up. And I'm going to say the very same about every single one of you guys in these chairs. That you are here for a reason, for a purpose. And you guys have so much value here that you could contribute and are contributing. Guys, this is the best church in the world. I'm going to just say that. (laughs) There is a reason you guys are here. God is calling out to you in the midst of this defining moment, saying, what are you going to choose? He's begging you to step into this calling that he's placed on your life and on this, the lives of this body of believers that we have here. There's a defining moment with something really incredible to follow. And I want you guys to step into that with us. He wants you to get plugged into the work that he's doing here. So what's it going to be, guys? Are you going to lay yourself down for the call of God Or are you going to list out every possible reason that you can run from it? We know that by the grace of God, we are better together, right? And so if you would just step into that with us and then just come along for the amazing ride that we know it's going to be, you're not going to be disappointed. But you have to make that choice for yourself. You have to choose what you want to do. And you have to step into his call for your life and for this church as a whole. So if you guys need healing or encouragement or forgiveness or comfort, if you're just ready to step into the work that God is doing here, because it's going to be incredible, guys. It already is incredible. You saw these kids. You see people serving in our church all the time. Now imagine if we all joined in on that. If you're ready to step into that or if you need prayer or healing, I just... I want to flood this altar today. I want to see people rise up. And I don't just mean people, I mean you. So if you're ready for that, I'd love to pray with you guys. Our leadership would love to pray with you guys. People in the seats up front would love to pray with you guys. So let's take a moment. I'm going to pray and then we're going to have our altar call and just usher God into the future with us. Step into that calling together we're ready. Father God, I just thank you for the people that you've brought to this church, this amazing formula that when used correctly, when used entirely, when used the way you want it to be used can accomplish the impossible. And so I just ask that you encourage us all from the youngest to the oldest, from the congregation to the leadership, all across the board, that we are just ready to step into the future, step into your will, God, 
to stop making excuses and just feel your presence and see what you have in store for us, God, and just finally let that come to fruition. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.